Last week we, we looked at this time in the life of the prophet Elijah. Elijah was a warrior prophet. There was nothing meek and mild about Elijah. He took the wicked prophets of Baal, he messed them up bad. Okay, these, these were the cult leaders, the child sacrificers who were destroying the nation of Israel. You know what he did? He destroyed them. He publicly confronted them and he took them out. That was a mighty big victory. But we looked at how Elijah went from victory and how quickly he fell into deep depression. And we looked at the four keys, the four things that Elijah did that made him vulnerable, that took him from a place of victory to a place of depression. And these are warning signs for you and me in our own lives. This was the message last Sunday, how to get depressed in four easy steps. Number one, wear yourself out. Number two, isolate yourself. Number three, focus on the negative. And number four, lose sight of God. These are the four things that we see Elijah do here in this passage. And we talked about those last week and this morning. We're going to look at some of the answers to these problems. So here are four things that God did for Elijah that he will do for you and me if we'll let him. We look back at 1 Kings 19 and we look at God's prescription for depression. 1 Kings 19 verse 5. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. The first thing that God says to Elijah, number one, eat and rest. God sends an angel from heaven to minister to Elijah, and the angel makes him something to eat. Hallelujah, that's the God I serve. <laughs> I love to eat. <laughs> I know you can't tell by looking at me, but I love to eat. When we get to heaven, we're going to eat, y'all. <laughs> I love how God always provides food to eat. Think about it. Always he's providing food for his people. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he made breakfast for the disciples. Hallelujah. Elijah woke up and there was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. The angel ministers to Elijah by feeding him and then letting him sleep. God is telling Elijah, eat and rest. Somebody say that, eat and rest. Come on, say that again, eat and rest. That's the first thing that God does for Elijah. He sends word to him, Elijah, eat and rest. A few years ago, I went to a training in New Jersey through Christ in Action called Critical Incident Stress Management. And it was led by a chaplain, one of the chaplains. In fact, he was the chaplain, the primary, cha primary chaplain for United Airlines when 9-11 happened. They sent him in to counsel with pilots and their families. And he said this, he said, one of the first things that you have to do when somebody is going through a crisis is you have to get them to stop, to drink water, and to eat something. Now, that 
that stood out to me. It's so simple. It's so basic. <laughs> and we see God doing this for Elijah in the Old Testament. It's not a new thing. God sent an angel to tell Elijah, Elijah, what you need right now, you went from a place of victory to a place of deep depression where you, you are the mighty man of God, God's man of faith and power. For this very hour, you're ready to die and you're praying that you would just die. The first thing you need, Elijah, is you need to eat something and you need to rest. You know why? Because the brain can't make good decisions when it doesn't have any fuel. Eat and rest. I'll be honest with you, eating has never been a problem for me. But resting has. That's been my struggle. I like to throw myself into work. There have been times in the past where I've been so enthralled and so called up in a church project that my wife has had to come get me at 4 o'clock in the morning and say, it's time to go home. That's not good. That's not healthy. Okay, maybe you're like me. Maybe you get caught up in the things going on in your life and you're constantly running from here to there and from this to that. And maybe it starts small, but before you know it, your schedule is running your life. Sometimes you need to eat and rest. Because if you don't tell your schedule what to do, your schedule will tell you what to do. Many of you are involved in some very good things, but if you're struggling right now, one of the most spiritual things you can do is call a timeout. A couple of years ago, all of a sudden, I got very sick, and I started having some neurological issues, and some people very close to me loved me enough to say, you got to stop and rest. You know, there's a reason one of the Ten Commandments is to rest. You ever think about that? God didn't design us to work seven days a week. We have to take time to rest. There is something very spiritual about resting. God sends the angel to Elijah and says, Elijah, you need to eat and rest. I want you to notice what the angel doesn't do here, okay? Are y'all, are y'all listening, church folks? Are you listening? Church people? This is what the angel doesn't do. The angel doesn't kick Elijah and say, Elijah, get up and get over it. Angel doesn't say, Elijah, get up. You just need more faith. First people like to go for that one. If you said you had more faith, you wouldn't need to preach. Like when I was a kid, I had somebody in church. I got a headache. Well, bless God, by faith, you don't have a headache. No, I got a headache. Well, by faith, you don't have a headache. Don't go it. I got a headache. Pray for me. Faith does not deny the problem. Faith recognizes there's a problem, but there's a God who's greater than the problem. Hello? Come on. Some of y'all connected with that. (laughs) The angel doesn't say, Elijah, why are you so depressed? That's not what the messenger of God does. This is very important. God is not rough with Elijah. God doesn't belittle his feelings and he doesn't rebuke him. Here's a myth about depression. When you're a Christian, you can just get over it. This is where Christians do the most damage with people who are, who are struggling with depression. They belittle the problem like a 
something to get this. Listen to me. Depression is a sickness of the soul. It's what David described in Psalm 6-3 when he said, My soul is vexed. It's a sickness of the soul. Think about it. How does God heal sickness? Can God heal sickness instantly? You better believe it. Can God heal sickness over time? Yes, He does. Yes, He does. I remember one day, uh, somebody got the church man stuck up behind the church. I don't know who. I was pushing that thing, and I heard something pop in my wrist, and I something broke. Because I immediately had two lumps in my wrist and the most intense pain I've ever felt. And I prayed, and God touched me immediately, and everything went back to normal all the Okay? God healed me instantly. But then, a couple years ago, I started getting carpal tunnel in both hands to the point where I couldn't even open jars. I was losing my ability to do stuff with my hands. So I had scheduled a surgery. I've been praying to nothing to change it. Am I ever afraid that it just got worse? You know why? The devil's a sore loser. And I, I was telling my, my prayer partner, old missionary Mark Randall in East Africa, and I was telling him I was getting ready to go in for surgery. And they COVID tested me and everything. I was getting ready to go in. And he said, well, let me just pray for you. And he prayed, and he said, he said, Josh, did anything change? He said, no, nothing's changed yet. But I feel something in my spirit. I know God's doing something. And within three days, all pain is gone. My nerves, all the feeling came. Totally, completely healed. And I got to call the surgeon to testify. I've seen God do instant healing. I've seen God do healing over days. Over weeks, over years, can God heal depression instantly? Yes, He can. Sometimes God takes us through a process of healing too. Okay, so don't you play God and decide how somebody else is going to get healed. God didn't say Elijah snap out of it. He was gentle and he was patient. He was kind. He cared for Elijah. He fed him. And he said, now you rest a little while. You know, as the people of God, we ought to be gentle with people. In case you forgot, gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. And I can't help but think there will be a lot more people in church today if Christians would just learn how to be gentle and kind. Because I'm sick and tired of Christians going around being mean and hateful to people that Jesus died on the cross to save. Number one, God says, Elijah, eat and rest. Number two, he says, go to the place of worship. That's my favorite point right there. Go to church, Elijah. First Kings 19, 7 and 8. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey's too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights. As far as Horeb, the mountain of God. So God sends him to a place called Mount Horeb. And this is significant because the other name for Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai. 
called the mountain of God. This is the mountain where God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. This is the place where God gave Israel the Ten Commandments on the first day of Pentecost. This is the place where the glory of God came down from heaven. God says, Elijah, go to the place of worship. Listen, the last thing you need to be doing when you're depressed is laying out of church. I know the temptation. I'm like you. I like to isolate myself and go into hiding when I'm feeling overwhelmed. I don't want to be around people. But listen, don't let people cut you off from your blessing. Temptation is always there to stop going to church. But like I said last week, okay, not going to church when you're struggling is like not going to the gas station when you're running out of gas. You need to be in the house of God. God never meant for us to go through life alone. Hebrews 10.25 says this, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Listen, you can look at the signs all around us. Jesus is coming back soon. I mean, when the, when the Euphrates River dries up, just like the book of Revelation said, just like it was talked about not once, twice, but three times in the New and Old Testaments, is that not a sign when you see what's going on in the world around us when evil is being called good and good is being called evil? We are living in the last days, and the Bible says that the closer we are to the second coming of Jesus, the more it matters that we gather together as Christians. You look at the great falling away we've had since COVID. In the United States, in Canada, around the world, you look at the tens of thousands of people who have not come back to church because the enemy is wreaking havoc. The Bible says he's filled with fury because he knows his time is short. Now, I know going to church doesn't make you a Christian, but if you're a Christian, you need to be in church because we need each other. There is strength when we rely on each other and encourage each other and pray for each other. Hello. Amen. Well, those church people, they're just as messed up as me. Well, does that surprise you? Of course we are. We're people. <laughs> you don't quit going to the gym just because there's fat people there. You don't quit going to church just because there's messed up people going there. You just mess up and we are. Amen. Another one I hear people say, well, I don't want to go to church with all those hypocrites. I'd rather go to church with them than go to hell with them. Come on. When your life is in the balance, come on, step over a few dead feet so you can connect with the real people of God. Amen. It's important, especially when you're going through stuff, to come to the place of worship. Church is our place of refuge. It's where we come to praise God and worship together. We encourage each other. Come on, just smile at somebody and tell them, you look good today. Almost as good as me. <laughs> Listen, church is a countercultural place. If you go to church and they talk the same thing that the culture around us talks, that ain't a church. Church is a counter-cultural place. This world breeds depression. There is worry and fear and anxiety 
everywhere you go, but church ought to be a place where you come every week to get away from the madness and the insanity and the discouragement and the doubt and the fears of this world. This is where we come to get the right perspective, amen? Mount Sinai was not only a public place of worship for Elijah, it was a personal place of worship. God spoke to Elijah in the midst of his depression. Elijah had an encounter with God there at the place of worship. While he was seeking God, all of a sudden, there was a mighty wind that came across the place. But God wasn't in the wind. Then an earthquake came and it shook the place where he was, but God wasn't in the earthquake. Then all of a sudden there was a, a, a mighty fire, a blaze across the mountain, but God wasn't in the fire. And if God wasn't in the earth, wind, and fire, <laughs> where was it? Christians, especially as Pentecostals, we want the wind and the earthquake and the fire. <laughs> but God spoke through Elijah in a still, small voice. See, God spoke to Moses in the thunder and the fire and the earthquake. But God doesn't always speak in the way He spoke before. Sometimes, sometimes God will talk to you in a new way, in a new season. Because what you need today isn't what you needed yesterday. Sometimes God will speak to you in a new way. So Elijah was looking for God to speak in the wind and the earthquake and the fire, but God spoke in a new way to Elijah. He spoke in a still, small, gentle voice. God tells Elijah, eat and rest. He says, go to the place of worship. And number three, God tells Elijah, stop believing lies. Stop believing lies. One of the reasons why we end up discouraged and anxious and depressed is because we believe the lies that the enemy tells us and we believe the lies we tell ourselves. And Lord, have mercy. Don't we lie to ourselves all the time. 1 Kings 19, 9 and 10. There he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here? Now, God knew where Elijah was, and he knew what Elijah was doing there. God wasn't standing outside the cave tapping his toe. You know, I wonder what Elijah's doing in there. God knew, but he wanted Elijah to verbalize the things that he had believed. You know, God doesn't ask you a question because he don't know the answer. Sometimes God will speak to your heart because you need to verbalize and vocalize some things that are in your heart. You need to speak those things out loud, loud to God so he can deal with them. Hello? So Elijah said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. True. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. True. And torn down your altars. True. And killed your prophets with the sword. True. I alone am left. False. I'm the only one left, Lord. False. I've been doing all the work all by myself. False. I'm the only one who cares. 
God exposes the lies that Elijah believed. Elijah wasn't the only one left. In fact, God told Elijah there are still 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed down to Baal. You know, when we wallow in self-pity and we exaggerate the problem, do you know what we're doing? We're believing lies. And there comes a point where we have to stop believing the lies and start acknowledging the truth. What are some of the lies that we believe? My marriage can't be saved. Why? With God, all things are possible. My kids will never serve God. Why? With faith as small as a mustard seed, God can move mountains. Well, I've got a bad report from the doctor. Is that too hard for God to do? So many lies that people believe. I'll never have a better job. I'll, I'll never have a real ministry. I, I can't make a difference. My husband will never get saved. I'll always be alone. It's time to take those lies and replace them with the truth of God's Word. What does the Bible say in 2 Corinthians 10, 5? Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. How many arguments do we make in our mind all the time? Justifying things we ought not to do and justifying why we can't do things God called us to do. Cast those arguments down, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, when the enemy tries to lie to you, every high thing, devil, you must be high to think I'm going to believe that. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. If your thinking doesn't line up with the Word of God, it's time to put that thinking in jail and lock it up and throw away the key. Come on. God tells Elijah, eat and rest. Go to the place of worship. Stop believing lies. And number four, this is so important, there's work to be done. There's work to be done. And this is so important. You can't do the first three and, and ignore this last crucial step. You've got to eat and rest. In other words, you've got to start the process of healing in your life, too. You've got to go to the place of worship and let God bring healing inside of you. Three, you've got to stop believing lies and let God deal with the way you're thinking. But number four, you've got to understand that there's work to be done. God gives Elijah a divine Assignment. He said in verse 19, the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria, and anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. If you're still here, you're not done. God is not done with you. You still have a purpose and a destiny. You still have some kingdom assignments. Child of God, there's work to be done. Come on, tell somebody, if you're still here, you're not done. Okay, you might feel helpless and things might seem hopeless, but if you're still, God is still here. God is not finished with your life and there's some stuff that he wants to do. Amen. God has work for you. Dr. Carl Minninger was a world-renowned psychiatrist. In fact, he taught at Harvard and was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. He was a brilliant mind in the field of psychiatry. And during one of his lectures, a student raised their hand and said, Dr. Minninger, what would you advise a person to do if they felt a nervous breakdown 
coming on. Many in the room thought for sure he would just say, go see a psychiatrist immediately, but that's not what he said. Dr. Benninger said, go find someone in need and meet that need. Isn't that something? God told Elijah, get your mind off of yourself because there are other people out there who need you and you're going to find freedom and healing and restoration when you go minister to somebody else. How many of you, oftentimes, God makes happen for you what you may happen for somebody else? Give, and it shall be given unto you. They just talk about money. That's a kingdom principle. That's the law of sowing and reaping. What you make happen for somebody else, God will make happen for you. There is still work to do. I'm encouraged by the story of Elijah because it's my story too. Some of my lowest moments have come right after some of my greatest victories. One of the greatest victories God has done in my life was on November 14, 2015. It was a Saturday night community worship service. Other churches were gathered with ours over in the other building. And they asked me to close in prayer. I told everybody to close their eyes. And in that moment, I had a hemorrhagic stroke. A brain aneurysm ruptured in my head. I was down for the count. They did a CT scan at Wayne Memorial in the middle of the night and found out that I had bleeding in five areas of my brain. They life-flighted me from Goldsboro to Chapel Hill. And somewhere in the air, between here and UNC Hospital, God did a miracle in my body. By the time I landed, there was not a drop of blood anywhere. It was a miracle of God. It was... I went from critical condition in Goldsboro to by the time I got to the UNC Trauma Center, they kept bumping me down the list because they said more urgent cases were coming in. A miracle of God. But y'all don't know the whole story. The darkest time in my life was in the months following that. I went from great victory to some of the deepest, darkest moments in my life. I came out of the hospital going through drug withdrawals, laying on the bathroom floor screaming. Went through weeks where I, I didn't want to go lay in the bed because I couldn't sleep. I had night sweats and night terrors. I had the most indescribable pain in my head and nothing helped it. I went from a place of great victory to God, I don't even want to live if I have to live like this. How did I make it through it? I didn't have as much Jesus like that. I didn't have a moment where somebody laid hands on me and it all went away. Here's what I did. I just kept doing what I've always been. 
Christian just like you. I'm, I'm a child of God first. Pastor is just an office God put me in to serve. But I just kept calling God Father. Eat and rest. Go to the place of worship. Don't Testimony too. You keep following after God. You keep fighting the good fight of faith. There are days when you're going to feel like giving up. Don't you dare give up because God is not done. Better days are ahead of you. Better days are coming. This is just a season, and it will pass. In due season, you will reap if you faint not. Don't. Grow weary. Just keep moving forward. In Jesus' name. Be encouraged in the Lord today. Amen? Will you stand this morning as we pray and worship?
And see, the enemy was coming after Josh, and he was saying, you're alone. What's going to happen next? And this depression was trying to grip him. And you know, I had the choice to say, I've got a 18 month old. We're in the middle of this project with the church. And I could have fallen where he was. But instead, God sent people because I was willing to accept the help. And they surrounded me and my family and said, you're not alone. And you know, it's not because we were pastors. It's because we were people. And that's what this church is for. If you're listening to me on Facebook and you've been out of church, get here. Because the enemy has been lying to you and telling you that you are isolated and that you are alone. And in here today, you've been feeling isolated, you've been alone. Maybe you haven't had a traumatic event, but you've suffered with depression. That isolation, that loneliness, that anxiety. I talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And you know, Josh and I put a, a little bit of our life out there the last couple of us, the week. But I'm not ashamed of the struggles. I'm not ashamed of the mind battles we've gone through. You want to know why? Because of human. And because I've walked the path that I've walked and I've been transparent and I'm not getting up here saying our life has been perfect. I've never been depressed. I've never had anxiety. I've never struggled with God. Why? Why am I going through this? I'm saying, I've done it too, y'all. And I'm here to link arms with you and say, you're not alone. So this morning, I want to give the opportunity to link arms with some people. If you can relate over the last couple of weeks with what we've been talking about, about this anxiety. You know, in 2020, the enemy's been an assault out on people's minds. I've got a lot of counselor friends, and I can tell you, they're full. Because people have been suffering with depression and anxiety, and they've been going through it. And this morning, I want you to know you're not alone. And as a church body, I want us to pray for you. So if you can relate, I want you to step out and come to the altar. And I want our church body to stretch your hand forward. If you don't want to just stretch your hand forward and you say, I've been there, I've done that. And you want to come and you want to stand behind some people. And you want to pray for them right now. We're linking arms with our people. Because you're not alone. We've all been there. So this morning, as we sing, He is our way maker. Every burden, every care, every thought, every fear, the ice. 
isolation and the loneliness, whatever it is, this morning, I want you to pour your heart out to God because He is here. And you've got a church family that's stretching their arms when we pray for you. That's leaking with you, saying you're not alone. And we're going to get through this together. So we're going to see this as we pray for you.